G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Connecting faith to life. Vision. The story. It all gets titled postnatal depression. For me, it was less depression. It was more anxiety. So I was a little bit anxious about breastfeeding. And I'd say to Michael, I'm really panicking. I just can't face the next feed. And Michael's my husband. And he would sort of look at me strangely and go, but you've done it 15 times. You've done it 20 times. You've done it for the last 10 days. How can you not face the next feed? Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. And as we just heard in the opening, Mim Rodder struggled with postnatal depression and anxiety after the birth of her children. Today, we'll find out the insights she's learned after going through those experiences. But first, we're going to find out what life was like for Mim growing up and the influence missionaries had on her life. That's coming up today on The Story as Mim Rodder chats with Shelley Scullin. Well, I was born in Adelaide and when I was three, we moved with my family. So there's four kids in our family and my parents have grown up in a Christian family, which has been a real blessing. And I think my parents have traveled a fair bit before kids and even with my two oldest sisters. And so international people have just been always around our family, which has been amazing So a lot of the times we had missionaries that came and spoke to us or like at our church and then they would often stay with us. And I still remember, often they seem to be from Africa, I still remember Dad saying to me one day, now, just because these people are coming from Africa and are being missionaries in Africa doesn't mean you have to go and be a missionary in Africa. (laughs) I think he was quite afraid because I was really interested in these people. And I think one of the first memories I have of speaking to a missionary was, I can't even remember what country he was from, but he spoke at our church. We were attending an Anglican church at that point. Um, he spoke at our church and I'd been go- I was in primary school about 10 and I'd been going through some issues with bullying at school and was a little bit upset about it. And my mum said, why don't you go get some advice from this guy and have a chat to him? And so I went up to him, and I'm really bad at remembering where my Bible verses came from, but he spoke to me and he gave me a verse from Matthew that said, Be happy and glad when people insult you and persecute you because of Jesus. Be happy and glad for a great reward is set for you in heaven. And I still... I probably misquoted it slightly, but I still remember that. And that's one of my first earliest memories of missionaries uh, coming through our doorstep. My mum worked for Scripture Union. And so we used to go on a lot of SU camps even when I was little. And so we just had a really great background to grow up in, in just sort of missionaries both further afield internationally and even learning about being a missionary in your own backyard and trying to reach out to friends and family in your own backyard as well. Yeah, well, that's a great uh, environment really to raise kids in, isn't it? For it to just be so normal, to be welcoming people of all different cultures uh, to come into your home. Yeah, it is very true. And then in more recent years, 
my parents have become missionaries. So often you hear about people going on short-term mission trips as young people or young families, but my parents were quite welcoming to missionaries, as I said, uh, and were involved in things like script union, but didn't actually go into the, in inverted commas, field themselves until they both retired. Uh, so they started, they did the TESOL course, teaching English to speakers of other languages, and then they went to Lebanon and taught English there uh, in a Christian organisation. And more recently, they've gone a number of times to uh, South Korea is the place that they uh, generally have been going to and from for probably about five years. Wow. Done a little bit in Thailand and a little bit in the Solomon Islands as well. Sounds like I should have a chat to them sometime too. I think they've probably got to, some interesting stories oh, to tell. They would have interesting stories for sure, both life stories in the past and uh, stories about what they're currently up to as well. All right, watch this space for Mim's parents. <laughs> so as for you, you obviously haven't ended up in Africa yet. Do you Not reckon? Yet. Do you reckon it'll be on your radar sometime to go on missions overseas or, or what do you reckon God's got for you? I would like to. I think it is a hard thing because I, I'm i definitely not denying as a young, when you're sort of young and you're like, oh, this is, I have this vision for that. And I definitely think that that's a great thing to have. When you start having a family, your priorities do change a little bit. Mm. Um, but just seeing my parents and going, it's never too late. Mm. So, and also seeing other missionaries who go over with families, things like that, knowing that it isn't never too late, but also not feeling bad that it's not the right time now. Uh, but yeah, I, I still love traveling. I still love welcoming international people. There's not so many international people in St. George, <laughs> but there is. And I always keep my eye out um, for people that may not feel quite so at home, like may not have family around to help them, support them. Uh, things like that, because I also did, when I graduated from uni, just shortly after that, I went over to the UK and did the almost typical Australian thing of working over there, and just, it's a, the same language, so it was a fairly easy move, but I just went over there on my own, and so just being aware of how it feels to not have family around you, not have anyone that you know, has, I hope, made me more aware and more welcoming of people that are around me in wherever I'm living, whether it's Brisbane or St George. Yeah, and that's a great attitude for all of us as Christians to have, to be aware of the people around us and particularly those that really need a friendly face and a listening ear that do feel in those isolated kind of positions. I guess the other thing too that your life and your parents' life has exemplified is that you don't need to go overseas to be a missionary to other nations in that we live in Australia and the nations are coming to us. And that is so true. Even small things, when I was at university, I wasn't heavily involved with it, but there was a conversation club with the Christian group that I was involved in at uni. And people from a lot of closed countries that you can't be legally be missionaries in, like China, were coming over to Australia, coming over to Brisbane to learn English. They just wanted someone to talk to. So they, the Christian group that I was part of started this conversation club and they just talked to us. And most weeks we'd just be talking, oh, do you have any pets? 
okay, we're talking about pets this week or the next week it's what's your favourite food or things like that. But then there were opportunities. So around Easter time and Christmas time, we talked about Easter and Christmas and what Jesus being born involved and what him dying on the cross involved. And then I think it was once or twice a year they would actually have a specific bush and Bible camp and they would advertise it as that. And so the students who were interested that had been to the conversation club could come and continue learning English, continue having conversation, experience having some time out in the bush and learn about the Bible. And it's just, yeah, it's just amazing some of the stories that happened from that. And then they would go back to their countries and be Christians in their countries. Wow. What an amazing mission opportunity that we can do just right from, you know, our own backyard. And the other advantage of getting to know international people is they usually make really amazing food. (laughs) (laughs) I still remember one time my parents had uh, some Taiwanese girls staying at our house. Um, They were just over here studying at university and they made a dish called mapu tofu, which is still one of my favourite dishes. And it's mince and tofu and this special sauce and they said oh i hope it's not too hot we made it like we make it in taiwan and my family quite likes spicy food so we're going no i'm sure it'll be fine i'm sure it'll be fine and it was absolutely delicious but we're all sitting at the table eating this food with tears streaming (laughs) down our faces because it was so spicy well, my mum has made it since not quite so spicy. But it was memorable, wasn't it? And it, here you are telling the story today. Definitely memorable. You're listening to The Story, and today we've been hearing Mim Rodder share about her childhood and the influence various cultures have had on her life. Next, we'll fast forward to more recent events as Mim shares about her struggles with postnatal depression. That and more when we return. The story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1 800 Pray For Me. That's 1 800 772 936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen's conversation with her good friend, Mim Rodder. Unfortunately, Mim struggled with postnatal depression or anxiety after the birth of her children. It all gets titled postnatal depression. For me, it was less depression. It was more anxiety, okay. uh, but it's all under the same title. So it occurred uh, fairly quickly after having him so everything was fine I had a good birth experience all of those there was no trauma there I didn't have the best pregnancy I don't make the best pregnant woman I had (laughs) morning sickness throughout but even that was nothing that could have triggered it I think it was just your hormones are really up and down and unfortunately some women get it and you can't predict which women are going to get it and which women aren't. So some of the things that were happening were I would, I was a little bit anxious about breastfeeding and I think most women, especially first timers are. And so I would, I'd have fed James for 15 times or 20 times or something. And I'd say to Michael, I'm really panicking. I just can't face the next feed. And Michael's my husband and he would, 
sort of look at me strangely and go, but you've done it 15 times, you've done it 20 times, you've done it for the last 10 days, how can you not face the next feed? And even thinking, people would say, oh, when the baby sleeps, you should try and have a sleep. And I'd be lying there going, I'm not sleeping. People tell me that I should be sleeping and I'm not sleeping. So it was, yes, Can we just go back panic to... attacks were the main things that was problematic. When you say that you couldn't face the next feed, what was it about it? Like, did you not want to hold them or was it painful or was it just a mental thing? It was painful. Just... He did damage me a little bit, but I never actually had pain. People were quite ex- surprised at how bad things looked there, but that I had no pain. I think it was that... I think I've always been a little bit of a high achiever, being quite confident at school, and this was something that you really can't prepare for. You can to a point, but you really can't prepare for. And people said, oh, you have to make sure you get the right attachment with feeding. And I was taking videos and sending them to a lactation consultant going, is this fine attachment? So it was just wanting to do things the right way, including feeding, and worrying that I wasn't doing it the right way so I wouldn't be able to continue feeding him. So I think that was it, the concern about not doing things the right way. And it also happened with parenting in general. To all new mums, I say, do not look on the internet. (laughs) It's not a good idea. Because there's lots of different parenting Uh, techniques out there whether some of the buzzwords are you're an attachment parent or you're a routine parent I came my family and Michael's family parent quite differently and so I think again me trying to do the right thing I was trying to marry those two concepts together and go oh I have to parent the way Michael's family does do it I have to parent the way my family do it And so, but I couldn't do both. I had to find my own way. But at that time, I was looking up on the internet, oh, attachment parenting, oh, routine parenting, oh, these people say in this blog that you can't attachment parent, these people say in this blog that you can't routine parent. So I just think, yeah, do not go near the internet, anyone. Yeah, it is tricky too. For everyone saying you should do X, Y, Z with your child, there'll be someone else saying, no, do not do X, Y, Z with your child because it'll stuff them up for life and they'll end up terrible. And so (laughs) you never really know which one to do. And it's kind of the same for every parenting decision as you go through, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly true. That is exactly true. And that's where I was getting into trouble, thinking I had to get have it all right and all right in my head and all decided in those early days instead of just enjoying James. So what ended up being the solution for you in that way? Just enjoying James and going with your gut? It was a combination of things. So the good thing was that uh, Michael's family, a member of his family had experienced in the past, so they were aware of some of the symptoms. Um, And so they picked it up fairly early. So I went to the GP and they will do an assessment. And it's worth, if you're at all concerned about yourself or about somebody else, it's worth just going to the GP and getting that assessment because it is fairly clear whether you're in the risk factor or in the risk group or not. Uh, But going to the GP, I did go on some medication uh, and 
I had good results from that. They kicked in fairly quickly, but I also got some counselling as well, and I would advise that for anyone at any stage, even when things are going well, uh, talking to someone external is just such a great thing. And so, yeah, with that combination of things, just learning that I was doing a good job, um, I was being a good mum, and I didn't have to have it all together ever, but especially not at that precise point when everything was new. I think there is that weight of it that suddenly comes crashing down on you too with the birth of your first child. I think to an extent, some of that is healthy where you go, my goodness, I am responsible for this tiny little baby mm. and I've got to bring him up for the next you know, few decades uh, to walk in God's ways and everything. And I think it's healthy to feel the weight of that responsibility, but there obviously is certainly a line that it then becomes unhealthy as well. Yes, that's exactly true. And I think as well, some people view postnatal depression either as a full depression. I did have some struggles with getting up in the morning, um, but as I say, it was more some of that anxiety and that panic that was for me. And I never had any issues with not wanting to hold James or anything like that, but it was more about... So I felt well attached to him. I felt that love, loving bond with him. So I think some people don't feel that, and that's obviously danger signs. But even if you feel that, my issue was I didn't think I was good enough, that I wasn't doing the right thing, especially at the infant age. I'm a paediatric occupational therapist, so I work with kids, but I, hadn't, I don't really work with really newborns. So I, my thought pattern, my incorrect thought pattern was, I'll just disappear for six months. I'll come back after the six-month mark. Somebody who's so much better at looking after babies can do that and, that, and therefore he'll be better off in that respect. And that was where, obviously, the improper thinking was. Wow. Mm. It's a real insight into what so many women do go through, postnatal anxiety and depression, and uh, it's something that I think needs to be talked about a whole lot more because it is so much more common than I think we care to realise. It is. It is, unfortunately. But it is good as well to have friends and family around you to support you. Mm. I think the other hard thing was people were talking a little bit, Michael was talking about trying to read through my Bible and trying to read Psalms, and I think that is helpful, but sometimes even that is difficult. But I still remember one of my friends saying to me, because I was questioning my own parenting, I think she even said it even in an email because she hadn't seen me face to face, but I uh, emailed her or spoken to her on the phone about some of the issues I was going through. I remember her saying, and this is still stuck in my head, that God has given you your children and you will be you will not be a perfect parent but you are the parent that your children need that's why god has given you your children wow that's beautiful and i think something for us all to keep in mind too that god has gifted them to us and entrusted us with their care mm. he's going to give you the abilities to do that he's he's actually chosen you for that child so mm. even on those times where you feel like you're not doing the right thing or you feel like you're struggling. You just have to remember, no, wait a minute, God's put this child in my care for a reason. Mm. Mim, you've got another little boy. So how did you go second time round? Were you a little bit, I guess, anxious knowing what you'd been through? What were you like going into the next pregnancy? I was worried about getting the symptoms again and uh, 
this time, my first experience was I was actually discharged the day after James was born, just where I went to hospital, that's their policy. The second time, I actually had a couple of nights in hospital, even though, again, birth was all fine. And I didn't realise at the time, but night two is apparently a nightmare night. Oh, yeah, they're little monsters on the second night. Yes, oh, it's horrible. I didn't know that because I think with James, everything was just all a blur and we'd already been home, those sorts of things. So I did get a little bit of a warning when I went to uh, one of the classes that they run. They're saying, oh, who's experienced night two? And I hadn't yet. And I'm like, oh, okay. And yes, it was a little bit of a nightmare. So just they're, they're wanting to feed constantly. They're so much more awake. And that's when I did have another little panic attack. Mm. Everything was going well, but I think because he was feeding so regularly, I was starting to think, I, I had the same thought pattern of, I can't do this again. I can't do the next feed. Purely like most mothers on that second night can't, but that triggered the memories back to James. So... Yeah, so it wasn't as bad, but went back to the GP. The GP knew that we were possibly moving out here as well. So she said, let's put you back on the medication. Let's get you a little bit more counselling just to be on the safe side. I think the medication was a little preemptive because the medication generally doesn't kick in for a couple of weeks and by day six I was feeling great. But okay. at the same time, I actually don't regret going back on it for a, for a short period of time. And I was on it for a much yeah, shorter time. So with James, I was on it for about 10 months. And with Finn, my second, uh, we came to the GP here and um, went off it at about six months. So I think it was great to have that support again. And again, counselling's always helpful, just talking through issues. Uh, so, but it was nowhere near as bad the second time. As I say, there was a, that little panic attack on that second night, which I think is normal. So if if you do experience feeling a bit down in those first few days, don't automatically think it's postnatal depression. Mm -hmm. It's more when it goes beyond those first few days where people just talk about the baby blues. Yeah, and particularly the sleep deprivation too in the first few weeks. And like for me, I was having full-on hallucinations. <laughs> like I was seeing my baby's face in, you know, the folds of the curtain and in the, the pattern of our shower tiles and stuff. And that was just purely sleep deprivation. Yeah. Um, and it was fine. So I think uh, we don't want to, I guess, overly alarm people for just normal things, but at the same time, if you're experiencing some of these symptoms, then it is good to go and get yourself checked out by a GP rather than letting it drag on, I guess, feeling like there's something wrong with you without actually having it diagnosed and take steps to help. That's exactly true. And I think, I think there's a lot less stigma around mental health nowadays, but I think it can still have a little bit of a stigma. Mm. And so not being afraid of that, going, it's okay, it's just something that will pass. Yeah, yeah, With it right will help. pass. And that's what you've seen, you know, well, once, and I guess it could be argued twice. You've seen it all pass, and now you're a lot more of a confident mum. You've got two little kids that you're taking around all, you know, sorts of playgroups and everything, and you're thriving in this brand-new environment. Yeah, that's exactly true. And I think it is realising at the time of the postnatal, particularly with James, uh, it doesn't seem like there's any point to it, but because of experiencing it, at my church in Brisbane, they started running a Mums in the Making program, which was for pregnant women who were seen to be like first-time mums. 
And I got involved in that because of my experience uh, that I could share with mums and talk about trying to prepare themselves as well as all the physical stuff that the hospital does, trying to prepare yourself mentally as well. So I think that was actually, in some ways, the reason... Um, for some of some of that experience so that I could reach out to other mums. That's awesome, and it's great that you're seeing some of these reasons and the blessings that come uh, after having been through quite a, a horrible, yucky part of life as well. True. Mim, it's been so encouraging talking to you this morning. Uh, from your beginnings uh, in terms of your heart for reaching out to people overseas and, and international people that are coming to our doorstep mm. and your experiences uh, going through postnatal anxiety and depression, it's really been an eye-opener. So really appreciate you spending some time with us. My pleasure. That was Shelley Scowen chatting with her good friend Mim Rodder in St George, Queensland. It was great to hear some of the insights she's gained after going through her struggles with postnatal depression. I pray that it will be helpful for others having similar challenges. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. My wetsuit, unfortunately, was shortly vest and my arms were exposed, my neck were exposed and within a few moments I got stung by one and didn't see it. Found like thousands of volts of electricity. Four hits, four separate jellyfish on my right arm trying to protect my face, climbed up onto the reef and Creole are telling me one of these will kill you. Ian McCormack from New Zealand was bitten by several poisonous box jellyfish while diving. He then had an incredible near-death experience which included a vision of heaven. We'll hear this amazing story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.